What's up, Banter fam? Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Miles, and in this series, we interview the smartest minds in crypto. Today, I have Jose from Delphi Digital joining us. How are you? Very good. Thanks very much for having me. We've got a lot to talk about today. I want to ask you about your uh, market outlook, your thoughts on DeFi, top narratives to watch this year, and much, much more. But before we get into all of that fun stuff, I want to ask you, who is Jose? Oh, nice. Um, So a quick, quick background. Uh, I, I started off, so I'm Portuguese. I, I live in Portugal right now, although I, I kind of lived all over, um, mainly the UK. But uh, I started off and career-wise was, was playing online poker in my teens. Um, did decently well at that, sort of climbed up to the, to the high stakes and then uh, kind of quit that. Um, went into entrepreneurship, so went to university and also started a couple of businesses at university, um, including an e-commerce business that ended up exiting. Um, and, and a bunch of others that were much, much less successful, a cleaning business and a, and a martial arts academy and all sorts of, of other cool, cool uh, businesses. Some of them still exist. And then uh, after university or like right as I was finishing, um, met someone who introduced me to crypto, specifically Ethereum. Uh, this was like early 2017, maybe like January or February 2017. Uh, fell down the, the rabbit hole as, as people do put everything else on hold and, and just went kind of full time into, into, into crypto. Um, it kind of combined a bunch of interests that I had. Obviously I was big into kind of economics and game theory. That's what I studied at university and also was very into it from, from poker days. Um, entrepreneurship, I understood kind of e-commerce and then also the pitfalls of it uh, pretty well. Uh, and just tech, like uh, all the businesses I'd, I'd started, uh, although they sound very sort of brick and mortar, all of them had a big tech part. And so, yeah, kind of combined uh, a bunch of different interests, and uh, I just uh, yeah was was got very bold up on it, and and have been been in the industry ever since. You know, it's super interesting. I interviewed um, Jordy a few weeks ago, and then also Hasib after that, and and you guys all seem to have something in common. Um, you're you're all like ex poker players. So, what do you think uh, from your poker days? You the what what are the main lessons you learned that you've taken into your crypto journey? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's definitely, there's, there's a lot of lessons that you carry over from poker. I think thinking in bets, thinking in terms of expected value really carries over to, to, uh, to crypto. And it's also kind of like the, the bleeding edge of, of like um, sort of the online frontier, right? Where smart people are going to see opportunity. I think uh, online poker was it um, earlier on. And I think like crypto is now that, that frontier. But uh, I mean, definitely poker teaches you a lot about sort of managing your emotions thinking in, in terms of expected value and, and, and bets um, and just like a different way to sort of look at the world. I mean, later on, I also, I, I'm pretty, um, I did sort of competitive martial arts and uh, jujitsu, and that's very similar to, to poker and, and, and to crypto in many ways as well, in terms of like the st- strategic element and stuff like that. So I think I've always been very into like games generally um, and sort of trying to, to get better and win it at, at like games. Nice. So how did that segue um, into crypto specifically? Was there like an aha moment where, where you realized, wow, this is it? Or how did um, that exactly transpire? Yeah, I mean, I, the, the guy who introduced me to crypto has a, has a, has a pretty decent sort of like uh, list of people that he's introduced to crypto. He's very good at, at uh, explaining the narrative. He was in Ethereum from the very beginning. And he sort of, I think the vision that he told me at the time was, was like the world computer. And Bitcoin I'd been introduced to earlier. I never really um, understood it. 
like the the sort of um, peer-to-peer payments, which was the narrative at the time, um, and it was being used used to settle um, some bets and stuff in, in in poker days. That never really resonated with me. But Ethereum as the world computer is this like unstoppable uh, computer where you, where you where you can have like arbitrary applications. Um, really resonated with me. And at the time, there was like the the white paper. There was like prediction markets, which I'd been interested in for a while from an economic point of view and, and all sorts of things. And it felt like um, also trending to, to where the world was going, um, you know, into a more multipolar world, less like less globalized. Um, it felt like something like this was just like necessary. It, it, it was just like a necessary part of, of, of the future. Um, and I think there's like crypto coalesces a bunch of different narratives. Like people get into it for a bunch of different reasons. Some people see the world computer. Some people see like an unstoppable financial system. Um, some people see it philosophically as like the rise of the sovereign individual and sovereignty resting with the individual rather than states, right? Um, I think there's, the, yeah, I, I kind of saw um, initially the world computer and then, and then ultimately kind of went through all those, all those steps and narratives. Nice. So you're a founding partner at Delphi. How did how did that all come about? Yeah. Um, so I actually started off doing. Uh, I was an analyst at a at a at a company called Amazix back in the day, um, sort of in the in the in the ICO days and stuff like that. And I was just um, reading through reading a bunch of white papers, talking to projects, trying to figure out whether we should work with them or not, um, and also doing a bunch of research. So. I was publishing my own my own research, and so my in my day job I was kind of like going deep into projects, which was a stu- super useful uh, schooling. Like I looked at a bunch of top projects at the time, Bancor, uh, which was one of the first ICOs, and, and the first AMM, um, and, and a bunch of others. Uh, and then was publishing my own research. I published a post on Ethereum uh, back when Ethereum was like everyone was super bearish on Ethereum. Like I think people don't remember this, but in the in the bear market, uh, 2018. Uh, there was this meme that that uh, Ethereum was like maybe the applications on Ethereum would be valuable, but Ethereum itself would never capture any value. And like ever, it was really cool to be a Bitcoin maxi. Everyone turned Bitcoin maxi. And so I wrote this paper in, in in defense of Ethereum, where I actually talked about the burn and potential changes to the token econ and why I thought Ethereum was was really valuable. And that ended up getting cited in a in a Delphi research report at the time. And then um, I like started talking to them. Uh, about stuff we worked together on some on some consulting token econ stuff um, and then we we sort of ended up uh, founding Delphi Ventures together which we we started with we initially our goal was to, to raise external capital but it was tough in the 2018 bear market like no one wanted to give us money um, or people people said they did but then when when push came to shove they just didn't so yeah we ended up putting in uh, about a million dollars of our own money uh, into Delphi Ventures between the seven of us founders and then kind of grew that to sort of mid nine figures now, which has been a, a wild uh, journey. Um, and through that also started then uh, Delphi Labs, which started off as, as Delphi's consulting arm. Um, and so obviously Delphi is a research company. That, that's, that's the specialty in how it started off, just publishing institutional grade research on the space. And then did ventures, then did uh, labs, which started off as the consulting arm. So we worked with uh, Axie Infinity, uh, Aave, um, Compound, Thorchain, Synthetics, and we were just doing a bunch of stuff, mechanism design, like risk framework. Um, and we ended up building uh, risk framework design and, and token econ. And we ended up building a really skilled team doing that, gained a lot of IP. So we had a team of really good engineers, really good economists, like risk people, PhDs. And at some point we realized 
um, we had a lot of views about how this stuff should be built. And we built like a really strong team. And rather than consulting, which is was awesome, like we learned a lot from 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 these founders, we wanted to kind of take it to the next level and really start like um, more actively contributing to building stuff from from the ground up. Um, and that was about March 2021 that we labs made that pivot. Um, we identified at the time like Solana and Terra as the two ecosystems we were most bullish about. Um, and yeah, built contributed to protocols like Astroport and, and, and Mars on, on, on Terra, which, uh, you know, was was uh, has been a wild ride, like uh, mm-hmm. uh, big ups, big downs. And um, and now we're kind of uh, scaling the model to to an accelerator model where we're, we're using like our 40 plus person team of engineers and economists and lawyers and stuff like that to help projects um, succeed, to teach them the lessons that we've learned from kind of years of consulting, building, investing in, in multi-billion dollar projects and, and use them to help like projects succeed. But uh, yeah, the, the, the vision of Delphi, I'd say like the highest level is we see crypto as like a, a paradigm shift. You know, it's like, I always say it's kind of freedom tech disguised as a get rich quick scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, and our, our goal is to be like, we think that all the gains from this come in, in the long term, right? Like in terms of adoption, we're still at the very, very early stages. And so we want to be very long-term oriented. And 10 years from now, we just want people to say that Delphi made crypto happen better and faster than it would have if we didn't exist. You know, we, we contributed to, to making this happen. And so we do that through research. We do that through investing. And we do that through building and, and helping build the projects that we think are like the most important um, in, in making this shift happen. You mentioned learning from some of your, your biggest lessons in the past. Clearly, 2022 also with everything that happened in Luna um, was a year to take plenty of lessons out of it. What, what do you think your biggest learnings were um, from last year? Yeah, um, definitely a lot of, a lot of learnings. I think that my biggest one, well, maybe, maybe two biggest ones. Uh, the first one is um, verify, don't trust, right? Which is sort of the, the like modus operandi of crypto. Uh, but I think, in the in the fever of the of the bull market, you you tend to forget that, right? And I think a lot of the big um, failures last year, although they they all like I don't like to group them together because, in my perspective, they're very different. Like even what happened with with Terra um, is very different than what happened with Three Arrows is very different than what happened with FTX, um, which is different from what happened with Celsius too. Like, and I think there's levels of yeah. kind of malfeasance and stuff that led to them, but. A lot of them were focused around like uh, people trusting single charismatic entrepreneurs, right? And and not mm-hmm. verifying what was actually happening underneath. Um, either single charismatic entrepreneurs or, or big firms, and saying you know these people are smart, um, they've done their research. I can I can trust this, you know, um, or th- th- this you know SBF super smart. He 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 went to MIT. You know he, he worked at Jane Street. Uh, he he has it covered. And so I think that was a big lesson, kind of um, the trap of, of, of like the charismatic founder, I think is, is something that you really have to try and eliminate from, from um, or at least make sure it's not a blind spot because founders are still super important, um, especially at early stage of projects. But you got to make sure it's not a blind spot. Um, and then the other one is, is just that, again, in like more higher level lesson is just that robustness in crypto and like surviving is really the most important trait you can have both as an investor um but also as a project right like i think you saw a lot of the projects that were growing really fast um in the harsh light of the bear market you realize they were making trade-offs 
that, that come back to bite you, right? Um, I think FTX is a really good example. I used to kind of look at FTX with a lot of admiration for, for what they'd built. Like they had a very small team of engineers and they'd built what in my mind was the best product in crypto and, and one of the best products in, in, in finance overall. Um, and I thought, you know, here at Labs, we have, uh, like at, at the time that they said had like 40 engineers and we had them. We have like a similarly sized team and we, we haven't done, um, you know, we haven't achieved what, what FTX has achieved. But you realize that there are trade-offs that happen in the back, right? Like you have your private keys on a Google Doc or, you, you, you know, you, you don't have basic accounting of, of what's happening on the on, on the exchange. or, or And so I think whenever something's growing really fast, and I think there are some projects right now that kind of fit that description, it's important to like ask questions and, and figure out what trade-offs are they making that might come back to, to bite you later. And I think in crypto, survival is really the, the key because if this is going to become what we all think it's going to be, um, the, the key thing is kind of staying in the game, right? Both as a project and as, a, as an investor. So that was another big lesson from, from 2022 for me. So with all of that stuff behind us, and it certainly was a crazy year, what's your outlook for, for this year? Are you feeling, feeling more optimistic um, heading into 2023 than, than 2022? Yeah, I'm definitely um, very optimistic. I mean, I think that the advantage of stuff like FTX, Celsius, Three Arrows, is that everyone who wanted to sell, I feel like, has had plenty of opportunity to do so, right? If you had any doubts at all about the future of the stuff, you, you just got hit with reason after reason to just to, to, to sell, right? Um, and I think that ends up forming like a quicker bottom than, than what would have been, than what 2018 was, right? Where it was just like a slow mm -hmm. decline from like ICOs slowly selling their treasuries over time and, and, and stuff like that. So I think the big bankruptcies here accelerated the the bottom. And I think now you're seeing like, um, I'm not saying there's been a bottom. Like uh, I think you have to think probabilistically, but I mean, last time I was on Banter a few months ago, I said there was a 30 to 50% chance that we'd seen a bottom. And now I think that's higher, obviously, because pr price is yeah. higher. Um, and I just think like you're seeing negative news um, just not affect price as much just because there isn't, there just aren't that many like large scale sellers left. So from that perspective, I'm bullish, but mainly I'm bullish on just what's being built in the, in, in the space. And like, I think people realize after 2022, the importance of decentralization, the importance of, of transparency of, of, of non-custodial products. Um, and you also saw DeFi really um, come of age and succeed in a way that, because um, I remember when, when I joined crypto in, in 2017 and in, and in 2018, people said that, DeFi would never happen, right? Like on-chain trading was was impossible, and you were you were kind of stupid for even considering it. Like you, you didn't understand trading. You know, you you can never have an order book on-chain. Um, you can never like none of this stuff will work. Uh, like money markets won't work. And what you saw in 2022 was all the centralized institutions fail while DeFi survived, right? I think I think that's a huge sort of um, feather in DeFi's cap. Um, and, and you're seeing, obviously, Uniswap do more volume than Coinbase some days. You're seeing Aave survive where Celsius, BlockFi, all the others blew up. Um, you're seeing perp dexes come, come about that have real volume. And I think over the next two, uh, the, the biggest problem right now with DeFi is just that the UX isn't the same as a centralized exchange, mm -hmm. right? You can get better execution on a centralized exchange. You have more speed. You have more asset choice. It's easier to use. You don't have to manage your keys and stuff like that. And so I think over the next two years... Um, there are now, like, for me, no unsolved problems in, in, in making DeFi uh, 
like a very comparable UX to a centralized exchange. And so I think we're, we're going to get there over the next two years, like with, with layer twos, with account abstraction, um, with some of the models that, that have been figured out, I think we're going to get there within, within like two years. Um, and so that'll be really exciting. Uh, I think that's like pretty much the big crypto use case is, is DEXs. You know, I think DeFi is the biggest kind of use case for crypto. I think everything else is sort of built around DeFi, you know? Um, mm. Yeah. So while we're on the on the subject of DEXs, I was going to ask you this one later, but I think it's the perfect time to to talk about it. Um, you know, how do you view the future of DEXs? Because recently we've seen, obviously, some of the the Oracle style perp DEXs exploding, like GMX and GNS. That's kind of the wave at the moment. We've also seen some Audible products start to come out into the market. They're still relatively nascent. Um, yeah, how do you view the the future of of a crypto DEX and what qualities make a good DEX? Yeah. Um, I think for me, a, a DEX has to be, you have to think about it as a decentralized exchange in the broadest sense. So I wouldn't say like SushiSwap or Uniswap are, are really DEXs. Or UDV3 is, is definitely a DEX, but it's a, a spot DEX. And in my mind, what, what you want as a user from a DEX is a comparable user experience to everything you'd get on a centralized exchange, right? Which includes spot trading. It includes lending and borrowing. It includes cross-margin accounts, margin trading, perps. Launchpad, um, you know, advanced products, all this kind of thing. And so this product currently doesn't exist in, in, in crypto, right? You have perp dexes, you have spot dexes, you have margin platforms, but they're all disparate. And, and in order to get that UX, you have to really combine multiple platforms, maybe even go across chains. Um, and so I think the end game for, for dexes is the decentralized Binance or decentralized FTX, right? A, a kind of cross margin account where you can ape a bunch of different DeFi tokens, a bunch of different DeFi primitives on leverage, um, create sub accounts, have access to launch pads and stuff like that. Um, for me, that's the end game, like user experience for DEXs, right? And then there's a question of how do you get there? Uh, and, and I think there's like three basic models for kind of DEX price discovery, right? There's the uh, order books, AMMs, and then like Oracle-based models. Um, and I think they all have like different trade-offs. The, the order books are like the tried and tested model from TradFi, right? They, they provide the most granularity for traders to express their preferences. And so sophisticated market makers uh, can, can sort of tap into, tap into them, which allows you to, to tap into their like massive amounts of liquidity. Um, the, tr the, the drawback of them is that they don't tap into passive liquidity, which it's clear that there's a massive demand for, right? You have billions of dollars in like highly inefficient XYK strategies. And whenever you have a lot of people using something that's clearly flawed, that means there's product market fit for, for that thing, right? It's like, a, it's, it's not an indictment of it, it's the opposite. It's, it's, it's sort of an advertisement for, for, for the need for that product. So that's a drawback. The second is that they're highly computationally in uh, intensive. They require very high throughput or like specialized change. Chains, you know, making and canceling orders uh, is there's just, just like a lot of latency and, and, and throughput need for that. Um, and then the last one is just that they're centralized, like they tend to centralize uh, order books. Um, in order to make full use of them, you really need to be like a large market maker uh, that's on multiple venues with like advanced algorithms and, and, and stuff like that. And so they're always going to benefit the, the bigger players, which also leads to centralization, where if one of these goes down, liquidity dries up too. Um, and then AMMs, um, they're currently like the dominant solution on chain for spot markets, right? Um, and the, the benefits of them is very low computational requirements and you tap into like billions of dollars of, of latent passive capital. 
the, the drawback is that the current designs either provide very poor capital efficiency, right? Like XYK, um, which results in poor execution for traders, um, or they sacrifice the passive LP experience and become more like an order book, which is what Univ3 does, right? Which means no. bad returns for, for LPs. And so uh, I think that what we're going to see over the next few years is like innovations in the, on, the, on the algorithm side um, that, that make AMMs much more efficient, right? I think Curve V2 is an example of that, but I think there's a bunch of protocols, including like Astroport that we uh, contribute to that are working on, on, on innovations here that preserve the passive experience, but provide more efficiency. Um, and they're also more decentralized, right? AMMs allow retail and, and, and sort of passive liquidity providers to really provide the bulk of, of, of liquidity. Um, so I think that's their advantage. And I, for long tail tokens, especially that makes a lot of sense, right? Because your, your sort of opportunity cost is going to work with a market maker and, and getting, giving them like 5% of tokens to market make, right? Whereas instead you can sort of, um, bootstrap the community and have, have your community make the liquidity for your, for your project. Um, and then the last one is the Oracle based model and the Oracle based model is, is, is extremely capital efficient because it outsources price discovery from centralized exchanges rather than establishing its own liquidity, right? Um, and as a result, you can offer centralized exchange-like execution to traders from the very beginning without having to like bootstrap massive liquidity, make agreements with market makers, all the stuff that order books and AMMs have to go through. But the, the downsides are that they rely on price discovery happening externally on a centralized exchange, right? Meaning you're never going to become the primary trading venue, right? You're always dependent on Big Brother centralized exchange to, to provide you with the with the prices. Um, and the other downside is they're very highly reliant on oracles, which are one of the current weak spots in, in, in DeFi infrastructure. And there's a bunch of attacks that can happen. I think Jordy mentioned some of them on your last podcast. So for me, I'm most short-term bullish on the oracle-based model. Uh, but long-term, I think a combination of order books and AMMs will, will win out. And I, I think you're already seeing that combination on, on some chains. But for me, um, it's like, AMMs and order books aren't competitive. They're synergistic, right? The winning DEX architecture wants to tap into both. You want to have order books that offer full granularity for sophisticated traders to be able to participate, but you want AMMs to offer advanced strategies that allow passive LPs to, to participate as well and all the liquidity to sit on one kind of order book. Um, and so, yeah, in, in, and in my mind, they even serve different people, right? For an order book, the customer is, is the trader. For, a, for an AMM, the customer is really the passive LP. And so it, it changes how you how you design those products and stuff. Um, so yeah, for me, I'm very interested. Like I think Oracle models are super interesting, and you can do like I think Gains and GMX have shown like, um, and I think especially Gains because you don't actually even need the assets. You just need uh you just need a stablecoin pool and Oracle prices. You can really create this decentralized casino uh, very much more much more quickly, right? Where you can where you can speculate on anything from from betting to uh, like election betting, sports betting, uh, tokens, stocks, commodities, you know, anything that you can import an Oracle price for, you can really offer users the ability to speculate on um, and have like very good execution from the beginning. And I think that's super powerful. Uh, and short term, it's, it's, it's likely to, to succeed just because of the, the lower liquidity requirements. Um, yeah. And then over do you time, think long I think, term they can still succeed yeah. or do you think do you think, um, I mean, there's two ways to view this. The first way to view this is like they're doing really well at gaining adoption in the short term. So they kind of have a first mover advantage that maybe sees um, like increased brand awareness for the get-go, which could mean longevity. 
Um, and then the second way to view it is there's better products that are going to come out that could potentially like eat up their market share, whatever that may be at the time. Um, so like, w- would you be comfortable holding something like a GNS or a GMX long-term um, or, or do you think they'll get swallowed up eventually? Yeah. Um, so I think one thing to, to note is like these projects can change and evolve over time, right? Like Uniswap started off as a pure XYKMM. Now it's like a, a, a very advanced DEX, right? Which offers much more granularity. And I think the same thing can happen with Oracle-based designs where an Oracle, mm-hmm. like in, in, in a way you're like, you're importing uh, price discovery from a centralized exchange, which is similar to what something like Airbnb did when it started, right? And it was scraping Craigslist to get all the listings from Craigslist and put them on, on Airbnb and bootstrap that supply side quicker than having to like actually bootstrap your own supply. And in, in a sense, like every marketplace um, has had like growth hacks like this, right? Where you try and tap into the yep. incumbent supply um, in order to really bootstrap, uh, to, to bootstrap it. And so, I think it's possible that, that they start off this way and then shift over time, although although it's difficult. So um, I would never bet against like um, product market fit. You know, when you when you see something that, that's getting a lot of use, and and I think it's it's going to be difficult for uh, like it's going to take a while for order book models and and AMM models to really be able to offer the same level of of execution. And a while is not too long, but I, I think at least like one or two years for, for, for that to happen. And in that time, you have a lot of time to kind of build, build a big um, lead as well. So, yeah, I mean, with all this stuff, I'm, I'm more, uh, I'm not like an absolutist. I'm more like probabilistic, right? So I think yeah. you want to have, uh, assuming you believe in all three designs, you want to have bets in all, in all three of them and really weight them according to your, to your like conviction, right? Um, yeah. I'm interested to hear like in terms of the AMM and the order book model, what projects um, do you think could potentially dominate that space or is, has Delphi made any investments into, into some early stage um, AMMs or, or an order books? Yeah. Um, yeah. We're in, we're investors in a lot of these projects. So we were early investors in DYDX. Um, we also invested in, in say and, and um, injective. And so, yeah, I think all of those are interesting in, in their own ways and they're all making different trade-offs, right? Like, um, DYDX is a super interesting design. It's like moving to its own app chain and having the order book stored in, in validator memory, which allows you to have much faster um, execution. Um, say an injective or more like on-chain order books. So like their L1s specialized to provide um, on-chain order books with, uh, and I think that's a really interesting model too. So yeah, we, we, we're definitely, it's, it's probably the part of the space that we're, that we're most interested in. And as support, the project we're supporting is um, that we're contributing to is also an AMM providing um, where I think AMMs need to focus much more. Like like I said before, you have um, DEXs where you really want to serve the trader, right? You want to make the experience as good as possible for the trader, as comparable to, to Binance or, or uh, you know, some of the centralized exchanges as possible. And then you have AMMs where really your, your customer is the LP and you need to provide the, the sort of, uh, first of all, the most, um, kind of the best risk-adjusted yield, right? And the, the most efficient strategies for them. Um, and the, your second customer is an AMM is, is projects themselves, right? Where uh, an AMM is basically an alternative to a centralized market maker in terms of bootstrapping liquidity for your token. And I think there it's clear that, that you have a lot of product market fit, right? Um, if anyone's ever dealt with centralized market makers, not to hate on them, we're, we're, we're you know, we, we're, we think jump are some of the smartest people in the space. 
but there it's it's a very um some of the deals you have to give up a lot of your token supply um and you end up with a big centralized point of point of failure in this relationship and so like amms really provide um clear improvements uh there and you're seeing it right with the adoption of of amms by by long tail projects with the adoption of yield farming i think that's here to stay and so yeah i think those are like the the things that amms need to optimize for so rather than focusing on on like the the trader experience you really need to focus on the project experience and the and the lp experience and i think you're seeing some amms do a good job of that i think sushi like they're doing a good job they just seem a bit all over the place in terms of like buying things and doing things on, on different chains but i think they clearly have like uh, a lot of the long tail projects launch on sushi and put their liquidity on 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 sushi right obviously uniswap is the is is the leader here um i think curve is really underrated in terms of their work on on like Curvy2, uh, we, we did a research report on, on Curvy2 and like Curvy2 pools are providing similar execution to, to Uniswap and better execution than Uniswap on a bunch of different pairs. Uh, it's just that people don't know about it because uh, it's quite gas intensive. So for, for low trades, it mm-hmm. doesn't end up making sense. Um, and also a lot of people go straight to the Uniswap front end to trade rather than going through aggregators. So yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of innovation in the, in the AMM space. And I, I don't think... Uh, yeah, I don't think that's going to stop anytime soon. It's a super exciting space. Like it's one of the spaces I'm most interested in. And I do want to ask you about um, Astroport and some of the other like Cosmos tokens soon. But I just want to rewind a little bit first and get mm-hmm. your overall views on um, firstly Bitcoin and then Ethereum. So um, everyone seems to have an, a, an opinion on Bitcoin, right? Whether it's you know digital gold or whether it's the future of um, future of the monetary global economy. So how do you view Bitcoin? What's your thesis there? Yeah, um, I think digital gold is is accurate. Um, although, like, I, I think I've never been. I'm I'm always bullish Bitcoin, but I've never been as bearish as I am now. Like, I think Ethereum has has made a lot of. Um, like, I, I think Ethereum in. in <laughs> I'm gonna get roasted for saying this with the Chromax, but I think Ethereum is like a better Bitcoin in, in a lot of ways, and that it's become the slowest moving like Alt L1, right? It, it mm. and it also has like the the deflation narrative, uh, like the proof of stake, like transition was was highly successful, and I think that was one of the big risks for for, for people. It has a base yield, which I think is going to become like the risk free rate of, of all of, of of DeFi, especially once withdrawals start, and you're going to see like yield curve products built around it and stuff. Um, it is like uh, a medium of exchange as well, in that you have this massive crypto economy of NFTs that are all denominated in ETH. So in, in many ways, it's like achieved like all the the the, the properties that that um that Bitcoin wanted, right? It's like deflationary on in like the I mean we're not in the in the in the trough of a bear market anymore, but we're pretty close to it, and still ETH is deflationary, right? Like uh, imagine what happens in a in a bull market. Um, you're already mm-hmm. seeing yeah, like I said, a lot of commerce denominated in ETH. Um, it, it's moving very slowly and carefully, which is kind of what what uh. And, and, and offloading the innovation to the edges and to L2s, which is exactly what, what Bitcoin wanted to do. So I think in many ways, it's become like a, a contender to, to Bitcoin. And I think the Bitcoin Maxi's kind of um, toxicity uh, really helped kind of like kill like the, the innovation on Bitcoin. Um, but I do think, like I still hold Bitcoin. Um, it's, it's, it's digital gold. It's the, it's the biggest brand in crypto. Um, and it is still like much less risky than Ethereum, right? Ethereum, 
is moving slowly, but it's still moving. Whereas if Bitcoin is 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 uh is just like um solidified, and so yeah, I'm I'm st- I still hold some Bitcoin, but definitely have have become more uh, bullish Ethereum on on fulfilling that function. And I also think Bitcoin has this thing where like there's a, there's a big reflexivity to it in my mind where if like the time it'll take, like once it becomes number two, it'll be very, it, it's very quick for it to become like number five and number 10, because part of the brand of Bitcoin is being the number one most liquid crypto asset, right? Being the, the crypto store value. And I think once, once it's not the number one, it's like, why does it uh, exist? You know, like what's the, what's, what's the reasoning for, for existing? And so, yeah, um, that's kind of my views on, on that probably going to get some hate from, from the Bitcoin maxis. Well, yeah. he, here's the thing though. I think a banter and also my Twitter, they're mostly ETH maxis. Like I, I don't have many Bitcoin maxi followers um, probably because I post mostly DeFi stuff. So I think you're in a very good, one of the better channels to be pro ETH. And basically every other guest, I think we've had um, other child, Jordi and Haseeb all uh, Ethereum over Bitcoin as well. So I think it's becoming almost like consensus, consensus. at this point. And that's my opinion as well. If that even. If that even yeah. if that even matters. That's um, cool. I mean, so, I think Bitcoin DeFi is, is interesting though. Like we're super interested in looking at Bitcoin DeFi, whether it's it's stacks or or, or what's happening there, because there's still huge potential in that. It's just that the culture is so against it. Um, and Ethereum has such a lead in, in that respect, not not just against Bitcoin, but all, all L1s. And I, I say that as someone who's who's uh who's heavily invested in all L1s, I think it's 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 clear that Ethereum is is the in the harsh light of the bear market, like Ethereum's lead has never been clearer. Um, but yeah, um, there's still some stuff that might happen, but I'm definitely definitely an ETH bull. Do you have thoughts on the regulatory side? Because obviously the last few weeks we've, we've seen the SEC crack down on um, Kraken for Ethereum staking and then also BUSD. And like it looks like Ethereum could potentially be labeled a security. Do you have any thoughts on how that affects ETH and like the, I guess the broader market in general as a knock-on effect? Yeah. Um, so it's very different, like, um, being a centralized exchange offering ETH staking, uh, it, that being a security is very different than ETH staking itself being a security. And I think there's, a, at least that I've seen, there's no evidence right now that the SEC thinks, um, ETH staking itself is a security, but like it, it's, it's centralized exchanges offering this product and managing it on behalf of users that ends up looking more like a security. So I think it'd be very difficult to go against, to uh, sort of go against ETH um, and, and make that a security. Like uh, I don't see a very strong, strong case there. Although, but on the regulatory side, yeah, it's, it's terrible, especially in the US. Like um, we've been, mm-hmm. our, our general counsel, Gabe Shapiro, who's, who's very active, has, has been super bearish on the US regulatory outlook for a while. And I think it's all playing out pretty much like to his worst uh, predictions like in line with his worst predictions um yeah but i don't think eth itself is, is going to be i mean who knows but i don't think ETH itself is going to be considered a, a security are you bearish on this on on the current kind of path um of regulation the u.s is taking obviously we've seen like approaches from the uae for example be a lot more lenient like abu dhabi even has a three billion dollar web three fund now the u.s seems to be like going in the complete opposite direction do you think maybe that drives innovation uh, out of america and into some of these you know other um other nations yeah absolutely um i think you're you're already seeing it like you said with with the uae 
I think Lisbon is is has attracted a lot of really high quality projects. Um, Berlin has has a lot of high quality projects, um, and obviously, um, like Singapore and, and and Asia has always been a, a crypto hub. So yeah, I think I think the U.S. is fumbling a big yield a big lead here. You know, New York was uh, I think probably still is the the biggest sort of crypto hub in terms of quality projects and, and people and stuff. And yeah, the U.S. is really doing whatever it can to to kind of nuke that that lead. Um, and it seems like a very short-sighted decision um, on, in, in a lot of ways. Short-sighted and also kind of destined to, to fail, destined to, to just slow down this innovation. But I think it's very hard to, to stop it altogether. <clears throat> hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we're just going to have to see how it plays out. It's, I mean, it's funny because the market of the – I don't know when viewers will be necessarily – watching this maybe it's in a day from now or you might be watching weeks after but the market mm-hmm. seemed to uh, respond pretty positively um post post cpi and post the regulatory stuff so it was a bit of a short-term sell-off um but i mean th- there's clearly going to be headwinds throughout the entire year um i wanted to kind of segue into obviously i've got your thoughts on ethereum and bitcoin mm-hmm. now in you actually said um when i was talking to you about eth that you're heavily invested in alt l1 so i want to ask you about about the l1 market in general Obviously, last cycle, the L1s were the top uh, performers. We, we saw some huge gains across, you know, Solana, Phantom, AVAX, really, and Luna, like leading leading the market. Do you? How do you view the case going forward into the next cycle? Do you think L1s mm-hmm. will will continue to be strong strong performers, or do you think? Um, so you know, some people think the L1 rotation's dead. Well, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Um, the L1 rotation game in general. Yeah. Uh, before, before I answer that, just on the regulation side, I think one advantage of this regulation is, I mean, first of all, there's a lot of stuff that needs regulating. There's a, st- a lot of stuff using, um, like passing itself off as crypto that isn't crypto, including centralized exchanges, centralized lenders. I think uh, stricter regulations on, on, on those make, make a lot of sense. Um, and, and pretty much anything that has centralized points of failure. And so mm-hmm. securities regulations, I think when a, like there's a reason that they exist, right? Like you, th- there's a reason that in order to to publicly offer uh, like an investment asset to the public, you need to provide certain disclosures. You need to 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 make sure that the public's on an equal footing with you, right? And so I think um, it's useful to eliminate the projects that are that are truly centralized, and to also force projects to actually decentralize, to get rid of multi-sigs, to get rid of like centralized oracles, and to make sure that the protocol actually works in a decentralized, censorship-resistant way which is what the point of this whole thing is, right? And I think there's a lot of protocols that, that aren't doing that, um, some that aren't even pretending to, to do that. Uh, and I think those should come under uh, regulatory scrutiny because you are effectively operating as a, as a, as a centralized company and using uh, a token to like raise non-dilutive capital from, 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 from investors, right? And I think it makes sense to go after those. Um, and there's a lot of other cases where it does make sense. So I do think the advantage of it is that it forces true decentralization, which is what the point of all this stuff is, to be robust to regulatory attack, to be robust mm-hmm. to, to a company going down or to a, to a person going rogue and all of that. Um, so, yeah. And then in terms of the L1s, um, I think Ethereum has like a massive lead, how, however you look at it, you know, liquidity, uh, developer mindshare, like uh, the amount of talent that, that, that's building and, and, and investing in Ethereum. Um, and so I think an alt L1 now really needs to have some like 10x better improvement 
to that, that provides like a compelling alternative for developers to give up the the advantages of of Ethereum. Um, and so I think like uh, but I, I do think there are a lot of sort of vectors on which you can provide a 10x better uh, experience than Ethereum. Like one of them is is, is obvious, it's scalability. Um, I don't think we've seen like the like we haven't seen that many applications on Solana that actually make use of, of the scalability, but we have seen like NFTs, right? And specifically like um, less expensive NFTs be a much bigger use case on Solana. We've seen order books and stuff like that. I think that's one vector. I think another vector is just the dev experience generally. So like the move VM and, and like the advantages it provides there, I think are, are meaningful. Um, and I think another one is just like customizability. And that to me, that's the biggest one, which is why I'm a, a Cosmos bull. Like customizability of of uh, of your chain, of your execution environment, of your consensus, and and also control of your own block space and independence. Um, and I think that's really like um, for me the, the the biggest kind of reason to, to to move off Ethereum is just when you when you're when you're on Ethereum, you have to accept the EVM with all its with all its constraints and all its all its disadvantages. Um, when you do something when you do something like an app chain, you can really rewrite like everything to suit your application, right? You, you saw it with UIDX, which is arguably the most, uh, or at least top three most successful applications on Ethereum. And they move to their own app chain because they can um, they can actually control, first of all, like decentralization, right? Starkware, I think their implementation wasn't that decentralized, but then you can actually control how you how you build stuff, include order books into the consensus in, in, in validator memory, um, and, and just like have a lot of control of how your thing is built. You're seeing osmosis, kind of internalize MEV, right, and 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 return it to to, to LPs. I think all of these, um, and you're seeing stuff like Anoma, you know, completely rewrite like the the and move to like an intense-based architecture. You're seeing privacy chains, and I think um, all those vectors are like interesting ones to innovate on. I just think we need to be, if you're investing into an all L1, you need to be super critical on. Um, like what is the vector in which this thing is like 10x better than, than Ethereum, you know? Um, yeah, and uh, like scalability, I think is one of them, although so far it hasn't really played out, but I think it, I think it will, but I think there are many others, like, like I just mentioned. So what are some of the L1s that you, that you like and that you're looking at that may offer you know, big improvements on ETH? Yeah, I mean, I definitely like uh, Cosmos, as I said. Like it's not really an L1, it's more like a, a tool set to, to bootstrap an L1. And so I'm interested in Cosmos chains that like make some uh, design decisions that you couldn't that you couldn't make as an app on Ethereum, right? That you that have some features that you couldn't have as an app on Ethereum that differentiates it and, and make it like a worthwhile project. And I think Injective is one Injective and Say, you know, like order book chains are, are one of them. I think Osmosis is a really good example in terms of what it's doing on as a DEX chain and internalizing MEV having uh, like the private mempool work that they're doing. I think all those are really interesting. Um, and then other than the the kind of app chains and Cosmos thesis, I'm, I'm, I'm bullish Solana. You know, we, we met at Breakpoint and I think it's hard to go to come out of Breakpoint and not be bullish Solana after seeing like the- Things changed so and, much after that. FTX, yeah, FTX was like the week after it was just, and now the sentiment is completely different to what it was then. But we were yeah. back at the time, we, it, felt, it felt impressive. Yeah, it felt super impressive. Um, and I think FCX's collapse long-term is, is good for Solana, honestly. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're the, like the Alameda 
um, influence on Solana, I don't think was good. Like they, they kind of pioneered very predatory token economic models that made it so that every single person that ever invested in altcoin on Solana basically lost money. And like, that is not good community building. You know, if, if, if your entire community that, that, that invested in anything other than Solana just lost money, that's, that's not what you want. Right. And I think, um, now you're and, and also there, there was a lot of points of centralization, right. Whether it was the, the, the sort of pegged assets that were, that were secured by, by FTX or like liquidity on serum and like admin keys on a bunch of protocols. Um, I think all of that has now been eliminated and it's also provided like a capitulation event that, that sh- shook out a lot of people and also allowed like new believers to come in and, and, and double down, which is what makes a community, I think, is going through hard things together and then surviving. Um, and then I think they're generally like genuinely differentiated uh, as in, you know, the, the scalability and latency like advantages over theorem and, and the and the complete focus on that that Anatoly has. Is, is a genuine differentiating factor. Um, they also move much quicker than Ethereum, right? In terms of making changes at the, at the L1 level, which has both positives and negatives as we saw with the, with the chain halts last year, right? Um, but I think of the scalable blockchains, it's kind of undeniable that they have the biggest ecosystem right now and, and the most stuff happening. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm bullish on, on Solana. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think some of the others are are interesting. Um, like I think Aptos and Suya are definitely interesting. I think Move it, it's like it's it's clearly a very big improvement to EVM, like for 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 developer experience. Like we had some of our devs play around with with building some stuff on there, and it's they they loved it. Um, it just remains to be seen whether that's enough. Like whether that plus scalability is enough to attract developers off Ethereum and off Solana, right? Um, yeah, uh, and then that, yeah. I think I think those are basically the 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 ones I'm the all L ones I'm interested in. So I want to touch on Cosmos for a second. That was the first one you listed off, um, and you mentioned some of like Injective and obviously like uh, Astroport and then Osmo. In terms of the Atom token itself, now this is a common like um, opinion in the market. Atom doesn't accrue value, so why would I invest in in the Atom token? Do you have an opinion on the on the Cosmos Hub tokenomics and? Do you think it's worth investing in the Atom token itself, or are you more interested in looking at um, like the ecosystem and the chain app chains building on Cosmos? Uh, yeah, I'm personally more interested in in the app chains and the ecosystem. Um, I think like Cosmos has one of the I think the smartest community outside of Ethereum, probably tied with with Solana. You know, and, and completely different kinds of people, right? Solana more like high frequency traders, entrepreneurs. Um, TradFi people who, who Solana was like a lot of the times their own, their first experience with, with crypto, whereas Cosmos is more like um, very deep tech, uh, like crypto values people uh, that sort of saw the problems with Ethereum and, and moved over very early and believe in independence and have a lot of views on political philosophy and stuff like that. So they couldn't be more different as, as, uh, as, as communities. But I, I, for me, the, the real thesis of, of Cosmos is allowing for sovereignty, independence, and like customizability, right? It's being able to control your own block space to, if there is a hack on, on ETH L1, like uh, we're not rolling back the chain again, right? That was, that was a one-time thing. Um, even the, the parity hack afterwards showed that, that that's not happening again. Whereas um, if you have your app chain and, and, and there's a hack, that, that's a possibility, right? You control your own state. You don't, you don't share your state with, with, with anyone else. And, and also like, account abstraction, right? It's like clearly a massive uh, UX benefit to Ethereum, 
but it's been being discussed for years and, and there's really no clear implementation of how to, how to do it yet, right? It's probably going to happen on, on L2 instead. That's something that app chains can just move on or like paying fees in any token, um, adding like private mempools, like all this stuff are, are things that app chains can just move way quicker than, than, um, than Ethereum on. And so for me, um, that's, the main, that's the main thesis. And, and I also think that like Adam will end up being competed against by the winning like app chains, you know, like if Osmosis becomes the Cosmos DeFi hub, then, uh, and, and like the, I guess the reason that Adam is a good, is a good choice for interchain security, right? And why as a, as a new chain you would use Adam is that it has a high market cap, so it's secure it's, and it's credibly neutral, um, has a lot of liquidity, etc. Et, et and so if Osmosis becomes like the, the winning DeFi hub, um, then theoretically that token would be the most valuable. And so it would become an, a contestant for the, mm-hmm. for the interchain security. So, so I think Adam will end up facing a lot of competition from, from like the winning app chains. And, and obviously there, Adam will always be more credibly neutral than, than them, but I think they will offer other advantages, right? Like I think you're seeing Terra make plays there with, with Feather and Alliance and, and offering like a stack for new chains to be able to launch. And obviously Terra has, has reputation and, and legal issues and stuff like that. But I think we're going to see a lot of chains kind of, kind of do that. So I'm not so, I'm not as bullish on, on Adam or the, or the hub narrative. I think if Adam had done, had enabled like smart contracts um, and like been less Bitcoiny, I would have been much more bullish. Um, but yeah, the, that, that community seems very um, like unwilling to, to make changes and, and innovate. Yeah, and and also there's kind of that roadblock um, of needing governance to pass proposals. Like we see a lot of proposals getting knocked back on Adam to like changes like we saw recently. Um, yeah. So yeah. So so you wouldn't invest in the Adam token itself. Um, yeah, not investment advice. All of this, by the way. Uh, of course, I, I personally, I personally don't right. hold uh, don't hold Adam. Yeah. Okay, makes sense. And you also mentioned like. Um, Astroport and Mars Protocol, they're ones you, you talk about quite a lot on, on your Twitter as well. Obviously, they were kind of born out of the, the Terra days. Um, what's happening over there now? Obviously, they're now on Cosmos. Um, it, it, what's, what's, what's coming out of Astroport and Mars at the moment? Yeah. So we're contributors to, to both of those. I hold like uh, a lot of tokens or a decent amount of tokens in, in both of those. So very conflicted here. So take everything with like a, a, a grain of salt. <laughs> but um. Yeah, I'm, I'm, so Mars is basically trying to recreate the, the on-chain like FTX or on-chain Binance experience, right? So creating a cross-margin account right now on top of Osmosis, where you basically be able to do margin trading and leveraged LPing and um, leverage staking, anything like basically perform any interaction on-chain on leverage with a single like cross-margin account architecture. So you, you can think of it as like a sub-account for DeFi sort of thing is, is the experience that, that it's, that it's trying to create. Um, so I think that's, that's really interesting. Um, and the, the, in terms of the, the model, it's like the, there's um, a hub and outpost model where the hub is kind of like the bank headquarters or the, or the, the company headquarters where administrative functions happen, governance happens, fees flow back there, staking happens there. And then the outposts are kind of like the bank branches, right? Where the lending activity actually happens. And so, I think Mars's goal is is should be to deploy on 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 every leading sort of Cosmos DeFi hub anywhere that has a potential to become a DeFi hub and where there can be demand for leverage and just provide um, like leverage on top of any interaction that people want to perform on chain, 
right? In a, with a very good UX and, uh, and this like cross margin architecture. Um, and then Astroport is like an AMM in the purest sense of the, of the word. So trying to provide the best um, like automated uh, like algorithmic market making experience for, for LPs and for, and for projects. So focusing very hard on the, on the algorithm, they, they recently uh, published a, 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 a paper on concentrated passive liquidity on, on SLAM, which cross-chain LPing. And I think in general, the, the goal should be to um, make the LP experience, like make um, the automated market maker, the algorithm market maker as smart as possible. So for instance, I think one really interesting avenue is like um, internalizing MEV. So like arbing your own pools and, and returning that profit to, to LPs, similar to what the skip proposal to osmosis was. I think that can add a lot of yield on, on, on top. Um, I think like going cross chain in some way, or like for instance, integrating with order books is another really interesting one, right? Like an AMM is just a curve that's that uh, like a curve of limit orders, right? Like I'm willing to, the, the AMM is willing to buy and sell at any price and it just has like a, a set price, like a, which is represented by that curve. And so that can be represented on an order book. So um, I think integrating AMMs with order books where uh, the, the liquidity on the AMM can be listed on an order book is, is also super interesting and a way to kind of um, create a single like liquidity venue and, and, and increase fees. Um, I think cross chain is super interesting. So finding ways that if uh, there's an ETH USDC pair on three different chains, uh, it shouldn't all act as like siloed liquidity. Ideally, it acts as like a unified liquidity pool. And so finding ways to do that is super interesting. And that's really the, the focus of, of, of the team is making the, um, the passive LP experience as, as good as possible. And then also trying to find ways to, and this is like research areas that I'm interested in, is to how can you provide a better uh, product for like the teams that are actually doing the yield farming and launching their tokens on, on an AMM, right? And so I think some interesting vectors there are obviously like really good launch pads. Like there, there hasn't been, I think it's un, undeniable that like launching new tokens is one of crypto's killer apps, but there isn't really like a good way to do that right now. Um, like mm. all of them have, if, if you do it on a centralized venue, you have centralization risk. They also like normally take a bunch of your tokens. Um, you, you have like regulatory concerns. Um, if you do it on a decentralized venue, most of the mechanisms are like exploitable, right? We've seen loads of different exploits of Dutch auctions and bots and, and, and stuff like that. And you have like, you're in a regulatory gray area. So I think there's a lot of um, scope for improving that experience. Uh, and then the second, I think, part is also like, how do you make, because um, how do you make it harder to be an extractive LP for a project, right? Like you saw Alameda was like the, the prime example of this, right? Like they just went on chain and were as extractive and PVP as possible on every single project, yeah. you know, dumping on people, like yield farming and dumping in, in industrial scale, like interacting with contracts before front ends were live and dumping on retail, all, all that kind of stuff. And I think making that, so like, for instance, um, maybe you want to offer more rewards to LPs who are in for longer or who lock their tokens for longer, right? Maybe you want to make the LP tokens usable in governance so that uh, your most committed users don't have to choose between LPing or actually participating in the future of the protocol, right? Um, so I think there's things like that that can that can really make the, that experience better too. Um, yeah. Let me know if you Awesome. No, it's, a, it's an awesome answer there. They're super interesting. I mean, I have to research them more because I'm not, look, I'm not too like deep 
into the Cosmos eco. But mm. I think one thing you can say for sure about those two projects is, I mean, they've had a lot of headwinds and the fact they've come out the other side and uh, like continuing to ship like pretty exciting code by the sounds of it is, I mean, that's got to be considered a big win, right? Yeah. I mean, I've been really impressed with the response of um, some of the some of the projects that, that came out of Terra, right? Um, I think a lot, some died, which you can't blame them. Like it's, 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 it's it was a, literally an existential thing that happened, right? Like your chain blew up. Like it's never happened in the in the history of crypto. Um, but some have gone on to just like do incredible things, right? Kajira, I think has has shipped at an like mm-hmm. incredible rate since 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 Terra went down. I'm really impressed with with that team. Um, I think Apollo is, is is doing their best, and yeah, obviously Mars and Astroport have have really plowed ahead, and I think um, it's been really inspiring to see that see the teams like come together and 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 keep shipping. Yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on Injective as well. That's another one that you mentioned. Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, I think Injective is 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 super cool. You've seen over the last few days, like Helix volume really start to 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 increase. Um, I think they did more volume than than most of the dexes on on Solana and Ethereum and, and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I mean uh, the the thing with kind of all on chain dexes is they all have some flaws with them, right? Um, and I, I think in Injective, um, the the main flaw with the Purse product right now, and I'm I'm a user, is just like the isolated margin stuff. So I think building some because I don't know if you use Perps, but like isolated margin is yeah. kind of an annoying experience because every every position is funded separately um, and mm-hmm. it makes it hard to pair trade as well. And so I think building a cross margin protocol on top of Injective would be really cool. They also have some really cool stuff happening in terms of um, like betting protocols and, and, and stuff like that. So I think um, as more use cases come together, uh, I think the, the real killer app there is going to be like a cross margin protocol that like combines them all into one UX where you can do the betting, you can do the crypto, you can do eventually like stocks gold and stuff like that i think for me that's the that's like the holy grail in terms of a a crypto dex and i think injective is uh much further along that than people realize in terms of like the infrastructure it has the speed the order book and 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 stuff like that so yeah can you tell me more about the betting because i'm i mean i'm i'm an i'm an australian right with the we've got the highest per capita um, gambling rate in the in the world. So, what's Injective doing on that front? Because Gamblefy is something that's I mean, it's been exploding recently, and it's one I've personally been researching. So, interested to hear more yeah. about that. Um, yeah, there's a betting protocol on Injective whose name escapes me now. They're re- they're doing some really interesting stuff around options. Um, yeah, I'm I'm really interested in Gamblefy too. Uh, we like Delphi recently published a really good report on on Tails as well, which is built on mm-hmm. synthetics. And it's kind of a similar design space, right, to, to actual DEXs. You have, like, AMM-based stuff, which is really hard to make work for gambling because of the, like, volatility of the positions, right? They're always very uncorrelated, which is exactly when an AMM underperforms. Um, Oracle-based stuff and, and also, like, kind of order books, like peer-to-peer stuff. Um, so I think, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I, I don't have as much uh, info about the injective one. I'm kind of doing research on that one right now, so don't want to... Um, Sure. Don't want to like, uh, yeah, but it's definitely interesting. Any other gamble fire stuff you've you've seen? I mean, a lot of the problem is with a lot of them, they're like super small cap, and like a lot of the teams are anon and stuff. But are there any that have like yeah. stuck out to you? Okay, these guys are decent. Yeah, I mean, we invested in a zero uh, protocol, which uh, I think is super interesting. It, it's like just a, it's it's basically a, a gambling like protocol, uh, or whereas um, 
So they don't actually provide the, the front end. The, the front end can be provided by any regulated entity. And right now there's, there's a few doing that. But the model is like, rather than peer-to-peer or, um, and yeah, we're investors in this again, conflicted. So, and, and I, I, there's no token to, to, to ape uh, as, as of right now. But um, yeah, the, the cool yeah. thing about it is it's, it's doing that. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's doing sort of the gains um, similar to the, to the gains model where you have a single pool of stable coins and then you import the prices via oracles, and which means that you can scale it like pretty, uh, pretty kind of infinitely, right? It's much easier to scale this model. And really, the innovation here is on the risk model, similar to a casino, where you don't want to expose yourself to, to too much risk on any one side that will allow you to blow up. And right now, um, I think the betting limits on Azure are too low to make. I, I think all pretty much on-chain betting, other than the centralized stuff right now, the betting limits are pretty low. Uh, where I don't think they're as interesting as, as Dex is yet, but they're working on the risk model, and I think they're going to have a V2 ship very soon. That's gonna that's gonna make that um, a lot better. Um, and then Tails, I think, is super interesting too. Um, not a not, yeah, no, no 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 affiliation there, but we wrote a we wrote a really good report on it. Um, I know you guys are subscribers. I can I can I can send it your way. Um, it's a really interesting one. Yeah, they're using like a modified AMM basically that that imports Oracle prices and centers it around the Oracle price. And you've really seen uh, LP returns actually be positive for the first time, which you've never seen with like Oracle V2 or Polymarket or anything like that. Um, so I think that's, and, and it's a really strong team built on top of synthetics. Yeah, I think that's a that's an interesting one too. Um, yeah, there's a few others too that I've been looking at recently. I'm, I, we're actually doing a deep dive right now on, on kind of Gamblefy and the des- design space for it. Because I think, it's one of the most interesting areas. And I do think it'll coalesce with the deck space eventually where you just want like what GCR calls the global casino, right? You just want to be able yeah. to, to speculate on everything um, from, and, and like my view of, on crypto generally is that speculation is the killer app right now. And <clears throat> I think crypto people have kind of like a complex with that where um, you know, you, you, it's like, oh, it's all speculation and stuff. But what you see is like every single nascent technology was bootstrapped via speculation right like whether it's canals railways like uh the internet itself it all started with 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 speculation um and and like that's how it works you you speculation brings in capital which then attracts like talent and and people to try and solve these problems and historically it always happens that speculation gets ahead of itself because people overestimate what you can do in two years and underestimate what you can do in Mm -hmm. ten and, and there's these like boom and bust cycles, but that capital stays and the talent stays and, and allows you to build, um, build out the industry. Um, and yeah, like I also think speculation is a massive and kind of underrated use case, right? Um, in, in my view, like every single asset will end up tokenized, um, you know, whether it's like dog tokens, governance tokens for smart contract systems, real world assets, JPEGs, like everything's going to be tokenized. And um and, and like DeFi um, is like the global open non-custodial rails that all these assets will will transact on, you know? Um, and I think we're just like stra- scratching the design space of that. And in that world, everyone's an investor, right? Like if everything's tokenized, everyone's an investor and, and DeFi is the rails that everyone transacts on. And so I think it's like a way bigger use case than people. I think it, it's like with everything, like all tech, it looks like a toy at the beginning, right? Oh, there's these like, these, these, uh, these sort of incels speculating on dog tokens on, on their computers in their mom's basement or whatever the mainstream media likes to portray crypto mm-hmm. as. Um, and it always, 
it, it's always the case that like new technologies look like that at first, but I think what we're building is super important and like impactful. I think, and, um, yeah, sorry, you can go on. No, sorry, go, go ahead. No, I was just going to say GMX, I think set, um, I think people are underestimating the, the precedent. I think it's set for the market in terms of like proving how the model can work. And I think mm-hmm. um, a lot of projects have maybe taken that in their stride and um, especially like on the gamble fire stuff and um, these kind of newer niches, I think they can learn a lot from GMX. And yeah. I think they already have started implementing a lot of that. Agreed. And then I think like DeFi indexes actually provide like the impetus for other sectors to develop, right? Like if uh, when DEXs become really big, you need to govern them, right? They're not going to be governed by multi-sigs. And so governance tech needs to improve. And then you might want to do start doing like under-collateralized on-chain lending. And then you need identity and reputation primitives, right? Um, and then you kind of need like crypto-native products and services. So you have like NFTs come up, right? And, and, and gaming, I think, which will provide like a really like, um, like billions and billions of dollars of crypto-native products. Um, and so I think like everything ends up developing around this like speculation DeFi use case. Yeah, I think it's massive. Um, and one of the other niches that's massive at the moment, and I wanted to ask you about this is like, obviously L2s have been performing really well, but off the back of that ZK recently has obviously with, you know, Polygon, um, ZK EVM launching soon, you've got ZK Syncs token, Starknet. We've seen a lot of the other ones run. Um, do you have an opinion on, on that and how that could affect the, the L2 market? Yeah, I mean, we're we're very bullish on on zk. We have been since the beginning. Um, investors in in Matter Labs and and Starkware and, and and stuff like that. But um, I think the the one thing to remember is so if it works, I think um, it's it has a good chance of being the end game and also of revolutionizing a bunch of um, a bunch of the way things are done, not just in terms of computation and and. And, and, and stuff like that, but also in terms of privacy and what you can do with that. Um, mm. But it is like very, very early with the, with the ZK stuff. Like you're, you're seeing, I mean, it's early for rollups, right? Like rollups, the optimistic rollups in production, none of them have permissionless fraud proofs. Some of them don't even have fraud proofs at all, right? And they all run on like one, a single sequencer. So even optimistic rollups are early um, and have a lot of training wheels on. ZK is even earlier. And there's very few people who understand the the the, the tech and, and and the issues with it. So, um, yeah, we're we're very bullish on on zk kind of long term, but I do think it's it's like super early in terms of the um, where we are with that. Are there any specific like projects in the niche that you've been particularly impressed by that uh, that have integrated zero knowledge proofs? Yeah, um, we invented it. We invested in in Sismo, which is like uh, actually uses ZK to, to create like identity primitives, um, like on-chain identity primitives, which I think is really interesting. Um, obviously very bullish on, on Starkware. I think they're the OGs in the, in, in this space have made a lot of progress with, um, with, with Starknet. They have like a massive community when you go to their hackathons and stuff, they have a, a big community of really smart people around there and also some, some key projects that have, that have committed to building there and that, and that are doing cool stuff. Obviously, immutable DYDX originally, um, and then and then also a bunch of others that, that people don't know about yet. Um, yeah, bullish on on zk sync as well. Um, although they're taking longer to come to market, we've also seen like a pretty big ecosystem develop there. Um, yeah, I, I just think it's early for the narrative in general. Like, there's there's not too yeah. much 
to invest in. And I think the stuff that's pumping is kind mm. of more like the AI tokens, you know, where it's just pumping on narrative versus yeah. like fundamentals actually being there. Yeah. What do you think of the fundamentals of Polygon? That's one that's been pumping. Clearly their biz dev oh, yeah. team is on another planet. But yeah, what do you think of their ZKVM? Yeah, uh, we haven't looked at their uh, ZKVM specifically, but we've spoken to smart people that have and say it's very legit. Like that team, Hermes, that they that they acquired has been building ZK stuff since like 2017. And I've heard from from multiple people that, you know, Jordy, the, the engineer there is one of the smartest people in the in the space. So definitely, uh, I think they have a, a very solid plan there. Um, and Polygon, yeah, like I think, Polygon BD is is obviously like out of this world, and I think that matters a lot. Like you you mm-hmm. you you can win purely based on BD, and they already have like in crypto social, they have Instagram, um, Reddit, and also like Lens, right? The the crypto native kind of social protocols on the NFTs. They've they've they they got the the D gods, and they're really building their brand there. And then they have like a a pretty good DeFi ecosystem as well. So I think they're kind of winning on all categories there. Um, the one thing I'd say is like. The Polygon POS chain itself um, isn't great. Like there's 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 problems with the chain itself. With uh, and I think people are aware of those, and and also uh, a few centralization vectors. And so I think um, they're constantly improving that. But also like zkVM is is it's really important that 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 uh, works um, for them. But yeah, I mean clearly the most uh, like on the BD side and 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 ecosystem growth side you know, hard to argue they aren't the most successful project in crypto. And I also, when, when you go to these conferences, as you know, and you speak to people, like a lot, there's a lot of like quality games, quality projects, DeFi stuff, building on Polygon. Um, yeah. Do you think that, are you bullish on that ecosystem in general? The Polygon ecosystem? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, they have a lot of top gaming projects as well. Like, um, you know, Ryan Wyatt, who came in, has, has done a, an excellent job there. I think that, like I said, I think, on all the verticals of crypto, like gaming, NFTs, uh, DeFi, social, they're, they're kind of winning in, in, in each one of them. I think the biggest risk with Polygon is just the, the POS chain as it stands and the, the weaknesses with that and the transition to, to ZKVM. That to me is, I think if they nail that, similar to how Ethereum nailed the transition to proof of stake, they'll be the, the leaders in terms of like ecosystem adoption in, in crypto. Recently, we've seen the SEC uh, go after Paxos, the issuer of BUSD. What do you think this means for the decentralized stablecoin narrative? Because a lot of centralized stablecoins now could potentially come under scrutiny. And, um, you know, we have some great products being built on the decentralized side. Do you think this highlights the importance of having strong decentralized uh, stablecoins in the DeFi ecosystem? Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's the reason we originally got in, got in, involved in, in Terra. Um, never really thought it was going to do... Uh, grow as, as as quickly as it did. It was more like a long term bet in terms of we know that centralized stablecoins are a stopgap. Like uh, these are, and and also that that if DeFi built on stable on these on centralized stablecoins is just a LARP, right? Like you're you're building decentralized infrastructure, but the core asset that everything is denominated in and that has the biggest volume and and liquidity is just like a sensible IOU, you know, and so. Um, that needs to change for, for, for DeFi to actually matter. Like if, if, if an unstoppable financial system matters, it's not going to be built on a, on a centralized, sensible stable coin. So I still think it's arguably the biggest opportunity in DeFi and in crypto as a whole. And I don't think we have like a super compelling solution right now um, in that all the current solutions really rely on centralized, like sensible collateral, you know, 
whether it's and I think they're like Frax is is an amazing team and, and probably the, the the leading contender here right now. Um, and I, I do hold some FXS, but um, like they're they're largely collateralized by USDC, right? And it'll be the same with CRV USD. It'll be the same with Go. Um, and so for me, like, what's the design space here? Like, given the spectacular failure of every algorithmic stablecoin so far, and I have like the, mm-hmm. the dubious honor of probably having lost money on all of them, <laughs> like, uh, you know, yeah, from ESD to, to, to USD to all of them. Um, I think the debt-based models are likely to be the only viable solution for the foreseeable future, right? Like, I don't think anyone's going to be trying an algo stable anytime soon, even if that's like the end game, I think. Like, every fiat currency is basically algorithmic, right? They're, they're, they're not fully backed. Uh, but I think to get there, you need trust, and, and that requires like the debt-based over-collateralized model. And so if you go that model, the main cha- challenge is like scaling supply, right? Like how do you get enough uh, capital to mint the stablecoin against and ideally like not centralized collateral like USDC, right? That That's the big challenge. And so I think there's a reason that you see that the three most successful stablecoins are all built around centralized exchanges, which are the largest pools of capital in crypto that you can mint stables against, right? Like Tether was was built around Bitfinex, USDC is built around Coinbase, and BUSD is built around Binance, right? Mm. And so for this reason, I think that the 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 winning decentralized stablecoin is very likely to be built around the winning DEX in, in the broadest sense, right? Um, because users want capital efficiency. Like I want to have my capital in the place where I can do the most stuff with it, where I can ape perps and options and spot and, and mint a stablecoin against it. And why would I lock my ETH in like a CDP where I can only mint die against it if I could put it on a on a like DEX like protocol where I can take on leverage against it or mint a stablecoin against it, right? So I think um, the winning DEX is, is likely to be where the where the winning stable decentralized stablecoin is born, and it also has an additional advantage, which is like the demand side, right? If you're the like demand side for for decentralized stablecoins is also pretty pretty questionable, like. Um, there's very few people using these as actual like medium of exchanges or, or you know, unit of accounts and the winning decks can also like force users to use it or incentivize users to use it in the same way that Binance made everyone use BUSD. Right. And so I really think that the winning stablecoin design is likely to just be built around whatever the winning decks is. And I think that's why it's right to focus on building this winning decks first and then having the, the, the stable coin around it. And, and I do think the go design, the Alve go design is pretty similar to what the winning decks will employ, right? You have like a cross margin account with all your positions and like you can borrow a bunch of different stuff and you can also mint a stable coin against your balance, right? Um, and yeah, I think that'll be like, yeah, it will absorb all the capital and so be the most rational place for people to mint like stable coins against. What do you think of um, Curve USD as well? That's another one, uh, another decentralized stable coin that's being worked on. Obviously, you've also got Frax in that sphere. Yeah, and I, I think that's interesting. Like Frax is, is super interesting because you're you're kind of seeing it the other way, right? Like uh, I'm saying that a dex, the winning dex will end up building the winning stablecoin, and what you're seeing with Frax is a stablecoin become like a dex and liquid staking derivative mm-hmm. and lending platform, and try and like verticalize and get its way to become like a full service like dex, right? And so I think, and and you saw that with with us with USD too, right? With Luna, that's what they were trying to do by building a whole financial system around it. Um, I think Curve USD is super interesting. Like from a mechanism perspective, it's like everything Curve does, like brilliant. Um, it's just, it, it's it's still going to be based around centralized stablecoins, right? Like all the collateral is going to be centralized stablecoins. 
Um, but just given how successful Curve is, it's going to be one of the largest stablecoins from, from, from the beginning. And the mechanism is super interesting. But it's tough to see how it ever, um, yeah, how, how it ever becomes, because like stablecoins are just dominated by centralized stablecoins. And if you, if you mint uh, a decentralized stablecoin with centralized stablecoin as collateral, it's just kind of like, you well, know, that's the main criticism of DAI as well. Yeah. That DAI, yeah, exactly. USDC. Yeah, I mean, I think DAI has, uh, is like, obviously, like, that was my first altcoin, actually, maker, uh, back in, like, 2017. Yeah. And, like, that, that community is where oh. I learned a lot, like, really smart, um, really smart community, some of the ETH OGs. But, like, I really think it's lost its way a bit for me. Like, uh, the ESG thing, the, the putting, tre- like, um their treasury in, in in u.s treasuries the like the, the the yeah i just think it's it's uh it's lost its way a bit um yeah interesting so i've got a couple a, a couple of like final questions um and then at the end i i like to play a game with the guests of uh like a kind of like a one word to describe one project type thing um nice. which is often often um, elicit some pretty funny answers, but the I, I wanted to ask two things. The first question is, um, I, I actually interviewed, as you know, Hasib a couple of weeks ago, and and he said that next cycle's biggest winners will be the projects that solve the last cycle's biggest problems. So I wanted to ask you, what do you think the biggest problems um, were in crypto last cycle? And then off the back of that, are there any projects that are solving those problems that you think could potentially be big winners heading into next cycle? Yeah. I mean, the obvious one, and we, we spent a lot of time talking about it, is just DEXs, right? The biggest problem last cycle is yeah. to get a good trading experience, you have to, and a good yield and, and, and all that, and good UX, you had to give up um, custody of your assets to, to centralized counterparties who turned out to be frauds. And that can never be stopped. Like, fraud can never be stopped, you know? You can, you can, the only thing society can do to stop fraud is make the punishment really bad so people don't want to do it. Um, but but it, it can still, like, audits don't stop fraud, right? You can provide faulty information to your auditors as every big fraudster in history has including including ftx so the only way to stop fraud is DeFi, like where it's where you cannot commit fraud because they're smart contracts it's transparent on chain so i think dexes are an obvious one um i think another one that not enough people talk about is just like wallets and uh like smart contract wallets account abstraction and like the on-chain experience right like DeFi and crypto is not going to win if everyone has to manage their own keys and if like they lose their seed or someone finds their seed, they lose all their money. Like that's no one wants that experience, right? You're going to need a lot more programmability and and granularity. And I also think wallets are going to become like kind of like the browsers of, of, of crypto and, and have a lot of power. Like I think most users will interact with crypto through some kind of wallet dashboard rather than the protocols themselves. Right. And so mm. through aggregation theory, I think, I think wallets end up accruing a lot of value because they control the user, they control the user relationship. And what do you want from a, from a wallet? I mean, first of all, you want it to have access to as much of the stuff you want to use as possible. So I think cross-chain wallets are really important. We're investors in, in XDeFi and they've been crushing it in terms of adoption and, 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 and growth. Um, and then the other thing you want is like uh, a simplified UX, right? You want to have access to your most interesting opportunities uh, across all chains and the things that you want to use with, with a simplified UX without having to interact with all the protocols themselves. And I think dashboards right now are the biggest example of that. Like Zapper, we're, we're also investors in, in, in Zapper, but like Zapper, D-Bank, uh, stuff like Pulsar, um, obviously Apeboard, like all those are providing that experience. And I think those will eventually converge. And then um, the security side is super important too, right? Like 
I think in the end game, it's most likely to be because uh, like using your ledger is a huge pain. Like I, I don't know if you've, you know, interacting with DeFi <clears throat> with your ledger yeah. and approving transactions is like a massive pain. And again, that's like almost worse oh. than than hot wallets, you know, where you're where you risk losing your key and stuff, which is why so many people have hot wallets. So that isn't the ultimate UX and the ultimate UX is going to be some form of programmability, right? Like maybe I want to be able to have signal signature for trades and for like these whitelisted contracts that I can interact with. But if I want to do a withdrawal, I want it to be a multi-sig. And maybe if it's like a withdrawal under X, I want it to be like a three-person multi-sig with like close friends. But if it's a withdrawal that's huge, then maybe I want it to be like a, a five of nine or something, right? And, and, and people are going to have different use cases and institutions and stuff like that. And so I think wallets um, and like account abstraction, smart contract wallets, cross-chain wallets are going to be a massive like um, use case and, and something that's needed for, for next cycle. So I agree with, with Haseeb that the, the biggest problems are the things that need to be solved for, 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 for or the problems of last cycle are the opportunities for the next cycle. That's, that's definitely true. Um, yeah. What else? You mentioned um, XDeFi. Um, are there any other kind of wallet solutions that you're looking at and also any self-custody solutions that you think could, that, that, that are looking promising? Yeah. I mean, I think um, if you've ever used like Argent and some of the, because the L2, especially the ZK ones like uh, Starkware and I think ZK Sync as well, Starknet and ZK Sync, they both have account abstraction built into the L2. And so the wallets there can end up doing a lot of interesting things. Um, and so I think those are really interesting. And the UX there looks a lot better than it even does on L1, which is which is interesting. Um, other than that, yeah, I think the dashboards are, are another, like, because basically I think wallets will end up creating dashboards, right? And they already have, in a sense, like some of them already like source opportunities for you. Some of them already have aggregators built into them. And also the dashboards will end up creating wallets in my mind, you know, and, and, and being the, yep. and so, and you're just competing to be the browser for crypto, right? Like the, the, the sort of means that the, the interface that, that most people use to interact with, with crypto, aggregating all the, all the bridges, aggregating exchanges, aggregating the most interesting kind of uh, products there. Um, so yeah, that's a really interesting area. Um like gaming, I still think is a super interesting area. Again, wh whenever you see like a sector that has huge um, like adoption and product market fit, despite flawed products, that's like a reason to be bullish rather than bearish, right? And I think you've seen that with, with crypto gaming where clearly some of the games have been very simple and, and also like very hard to, to, to use, but still have, have, have garnered massive adoption. And I think that shows like the, the, the demand for this stuff. And you've had billions and billions of dollars invested in games and like top founders that are, that are going to be coming to market over the next few years. So I think those are going to be really interesting. Um, like I think on-chain identity and social is going to start happening next cycle. Like we have enough on-chain data. I'm, I'm bearish on most like identity projects. And I just think identity will end up uh, existing as like an emergent like factor where you have a bunch of different um, like on-chain pieces of on-chain history of interactions that you've had with different protocols. I think DGen score is a really good example of this, right? Like we've hired people based on their DGen score. It's like something that we ask people for when we, when we hire them, it's, it's clearly like an interesting on-chain primitive. And there's going to be many more like that, which take on-chain data, um, extract some, some kind of like alpha from it. Is this person a holder? Are they like a big lending protocol whale? Um, are they someone that tries every new protocol? Are they a liquidator? You know, there's a lot of information you can extract from, from on-chain. I think that'll start getting like sourced such that you have 
basic on-chain identity emerge, right? And when you when you have a wallet, you can actually know who you're who you're interacting with. And then over time, that'll start having value. Um, and like with stuff like Lens, it'll it'll start having like social value. And then you can start having reputation and eventually like financial and, and other and social products built around it. I think that's going to happen this cycle, like uh, crypto social. Um, yeah. And governance, I think, is also going to have to level up, honestly, um, like because of the, the, the SEC's like attacks on crypto projects, you're just going to have to decentralize and having every single person vote on every single decision is not the way to do yeah. governance. Right. Like uh, it's just not the you're going to have to have like delegation and specialization like you have in, in, in companies but it's going to have to be. Uh, and so I think there's going to be new ways of doing that. I'm really interested in uh, Orca protocol. I think they rebranded actually. They used to be on Orca on Ethereum. They rebranded something. I don't remember what now, but um, they're doing like their pods where you have like, you can delegate governance rights to a multi-sig that votes on like specific matters. So for instance, for money market protocol, you could delegate the risk parameters to a specific multi-sig, right? Um, and you can delegate decisions regarding treasury to another multi-sig. So you end up having like departments and you can delegate your governance powers separately. I think that's super interesting. Um, yeah. So much stuff to be excited about. Wow. Where do you Absolutely. begin? That's actually, yeah. I actually want to ask that question. Where do you begin? If you're a retail investor and you're kind of looking at this market and you're like, wow, we've got DEXs, we've got gaming, we've got cross-chain stuff. Like, yeah, where do you even begin to approach this market? What would be your advice to someone that's just starting out or is kind of a bit unsure about how to handle things? Yeah, I mean, I'd say go where uh, you're interested in. So if you're if you're using uh, a protocol, like I think most people start with with some form of like DEX. If you're using a DEX, go into the Discord, go deep into that community, and often uh, your next project comes from that one, right? From the seeds of that one. I think that's happened a lot in crypto. Like for us, we were really we were really deep into synthetics. Um, very early into that community, and obviously synthetics. Like um, a lot of the OGs in in DeFi came from from synthetics. A lot of OG projects came from there. And for us, Thorchain came kind of out of synthetics in the sense that it was leveraging some of the concepts that synthetics pioneered, like like uh, yield farming. Um, you know, yield farming, I guess, was compound, but more like the the idea of like staking and lockups and being paid in your in your in your native token to provide a service to the protocol. Uh, and then Thorchain took that and put it into um, like a, a DEX format instead of a instead of a synthetics platform. And then maybe you're using like um, uh, an NFT trading platform, and you see that they're like storing their the data on Arweave, and you get interested in in, in Arweave, right? And then you're you're deep into Arweave, and you find something else. And I think following the rabbit hole that way is really the only way to do it. And and like when you find a really good project. Um, there's going to be very smart people building it and smart people attract other smart people and they're going to be working with the smartest projects in other areas. And you can just kind of keep pulling the thread and, and going down the rabbit hole. And, and, and I think that's the best way to, to learn about the industry. And to me, that's like how, yeah, like I said before, um, for DeFi is the killer app for me, but then you need a bunch of other stuff for that, for DeFi to happen, right? You need decentralized infrastructure, decentralized DNS, um, compute, like front ends, you need governance, identity. So like all this stuff will happen and it's just like having your your, your ear to the ground and, and yeah, pulling those threads. I agree. I think it's great advice. I think, um, and especially like niching down as well is such a huge thing, like picking one project or one sector, getting in those yep. communities and like learning about it. I think 
sometimes people get a bit too um a bit too crazy and trying to like understand 10 different sectors at once and you never really become an expert on one thing so if you can and especially because time constraints right like maybe for, for people like us we're in crypto all day maybe it becomes a little bit easier to keep on top of things but you know most people have full-time jobs and they're coming yeah. home and they might only have an hour a day to research which isn't or half an hour you know? yeah and obviously i'm biased but like i think subscribing to i think following people like you and and banter and subscribing to if you have the ability to subscribe to either delphi or, or masari or or one of the research i think those two are probably the the, the best ones and obviously i'm, I'm biased I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a delphi but i think that's a huge advantage because you have people that are like looking at everything synthesizing what's important and then providing it in in a really clear to understand format but also with a lot of depth to it so you can really go down rabbit holes on, on whatever sector you're interested in and kind of like if you learn go learn about a project you have to sort of piece things together from discord and white papers that normally aren't updated and talking mm-hmm. to the team and stuff and these these services do all that for you you know and, and kind of give you the the the, the digest. So I think that's really valuable too. Um, but yeah, nothing replaces you going in the weeds, but I think this can provide a good, like um, sort of give you that first uh, filter where you can, you, you can look at these projects, understand them, and then you can go deeper on the ones that you find most interesting. For example, our conversation today probably has on, on your behalf, like thousands of hours of research behind, you know, some of the things that yeah. you're able to describe in like one sentence. So theoretically using like a video as a proxy someone learnt thousands of hours worth of research in maybe just an hour of watching the show on double speed, 45 minutes. So yeah. there's a lot to like even pick apart here. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's a, that's a really cool thing. It, but you also got to be careful with content creators. And I never suggest people take what I say as fact or what, um, what even like whatever you say as fact or anyone for that matter, because I think it's so important to do your own research, yeah. but it, but it is a very, very good starting point and it can kind of plant seeds in your head of like, Oh, this is like a great idea. Let me go research it further. So yeah, I agree with you there. I think it's super important. Um, well, that wraps sure. up all the questions, but I do have a, a segment I want to um, jump into now, which I've been wrapping up with the guests, which is where I, I name a project and then um, you've got to give me one word to describe the, the project, which turns out in some cases is quite difficult. So we'll start with an easy one or it might be a hard <laughs> one. Uh, and that's uh, Bitcoin. Uh, stable. Solana. Fast. XRP. Uh, um, I was going to say scam, but uh, not a scam. <laughs> um, but just like uh, centralized, I guess. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm not too interested in XRP. Sure. Um, Phantom. Um, I don't have much of a view on Phantom, honestly. Uh, probably Andre. It would be the word that comes to mind. Yeah. What do you think of FVM? Yeah. Do you have any opinion on what they're doing, basically trying to replace EVM? Um, no, I honestly haven't looked into it too much. Okay. Yeah. Basically, I think they, they ran a test net. They, they found like eight, eight X improvements on, on speed, just, just off like their first version. So, I mean, it looks promising, That's strong really community as well. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I recommend re- looking into it. Andre clearly being back helps. And they're also, yeah, I looked into that. So yeah, it's, yeah. Look, look into EVM. I think you'll find it interesting. I've I've also got Michael we'll Kong, the founder, coming on next week to like explain more technically um, how it works. But you'll be able to get that from Quantum Miami too. There's recordings. But yeah, oh, um, cool. yeah. So to next one, Cardano. Uh, vaporware. <laughs> oh, that's, that's the first word that comes to mind. 
Damn it. Yeah, no, I love yeah. it. Um, um, it's funny because Charles Hoskinson's had some words to say about uh, some of the opinions of certain hosts on this channel because um, sometimes we make fun of Ada, but it's hard not to sometimes. It's too good. Yeah, I mean, up. honestly, we have a project that we work with that's, that's legit and they're super smart world mobile that, that's on Cardano. Um, mm. It's just that I've I've been hearing about Cardano for years, and I go try and use it every six months, and there's nothing to use, you know. And and so like that's my main <laughs> issue with it. And maybe they're just going like super slow, and then they'll like release all this stuff, and it'll it'll just work. But um, so far I haven't I just haven't seen anything like that that I can actually. Use. Yeah, I know. It's it's like it sounds so promising, but you you want to like actually get your hands on it. I feel similar yeah. about Polkadot. Do you have a similar feeling about Damn. them as well? Yeah. Yeah. Same. I, I had the exact same thing. I was going to say, actually, like, Polkadot was the same thing where but Polkadot always ranks really highly on this developer, uh, on, on the developer Number numbers, two. right? Like the Electric Capital Report. Yeah, exactly. Mm. I just don't know what they're all, what they're all building because uh, there's not that much to use. I know there's Composable on there um, and, and obviously Kusama and stuff, but whenever I go use it, there's not that much to use. Definitely more than Cardano. Like, uh, I don't know, Cardano, when I tried to use their, the decks there, it was, it was a, a pretty painful kind of experience. Um so there's definitely more than Cardano, but yeah, not 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 too much considering all the all the dev activity, which is well. Which you is hear weird. a lot of talk. It's always like uh, dots always chucked in the conversation with Adam, probably because of the interoperability buzzword. Um, mm. Do you view it like similarly to Atom, or do you think it's it's a completely different ball game? Yeah, I think the it's like uh, Atom provides true, Cosmos provides true independence, right? You can run your own chain. You don't have to like bid for a parachain slot and, and use dot for security. You can use your own chain for security. So sure. like, I think uh, Adam is a Cosmos is like a purer bet on that narrative for me. Um, yeah. One thing I'd say is like, we all definitely have blind spots and I think crypto Twitter has blind spots and like Cardano polka dot and stuff are definitely sit in those blind spots where they clearly have a lot of market cap and dev activity and there's just stuff happening that we don't see. So Mm-hmm. um I th- I'm, I'm open to that being the case with cardano like maybe they're doing mm-hmm. some enterprise stuff that we don't see and and, and and stuff like that but i just haven't seen anything which is why i said vaporware yeah and i think um and, and also like I, I don't have anything against cardano but i will make the point alluding to something you said earlier in the show about being skeptical of projects with like figureheads like that could mm-hmm. potentially be um, like exposed i feel like and phantom is in the same category with andre i feel like the charles hoskinson element of ada is like a slight systemic risk um and that's Agreed, yeah. just another thing i think there's other projects that have a bit more diversification across their like um yeah internal structures but yeah uh, i mean that's, that's up for debate really um yeah two more i've got adam mm-hmm. we've talked a lot about it today what, what word would you use to describe that um neutral Neutral. Well, I guess yeah. we'll let the we'll let the other segments do the talking then. Yeah. Um, and then the last one is is Doge. Doge. Um, yeah, like meme. Um, I don't know. Do- yeah. Doge is like yeah, it's it's an interesting one. Um, sort of represents all the good and bad of crypto. I think Doge. Mm. Um, like the, the stuff we love and the stuff we hate. Um, yeah. But but I haven't looked into much of what they're doing with. That. I know they're launching a some kind of smart contracting platform and stuff. And obviously they have the Elon factor, but I haven't looked into too much of that. You you can, it's probably the hardest token in crypto to short or even think about shorting, even if you're bearish on it, because like all it takes is one Elon tweet for like a huge wick. So it's, yeah. it's, it's you almost don't want to be on the wrong side of Doge. You, you, you want to be long and strong or out of the game, I reckon. That's Agreed. just my opinion. Um, yeah, well, that, that wraps up that segment. 
Um, I think like there's a lot of alpha in here. I'll need to watch this show again twice and and take some notes. Um, yeah, because we, we did cover a lot. I think we'll need to um definitely do this again some. some sometime and and discuss things and maybe even you can if if the time permits um time zone permits you can come on spaces and and share some stuff with the twitter audience too would love to man yeah i really appreciate you uh, inviting me on the show i'm a fan watched the the previous episodes they were really cool so yeah i hope hope people enjoy this and if you have any questions about it or anything hit me up on twitter and yeah, i would love to to join the spaces and and yeah chat some more about this stuff awesome i'm sure i'll have questions i'm sure the audience will as well so um yeah looking forward to seeing you again thanks so much for joining um and to all the viewers make sure you like and subscribe if you enjoyed the content and we'll see you next week peace out guys